So look, um, excited about today, and if you know me, I'm a planner. Oftentimes I'll have sermon series planned out four, five, six months in advance. I like that. It helps me sleep on Saturday nights to know I've got things figured out. Uh, but as we were uh, going through this uh, COVID thing, you know what? God just said, I want to interrupt what you were going to speak on. And there's a, a series that he gave me. And, and oftentimes, um, developing a sermon can be a labor of love. And you got to work at it and dig and pray and, 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 and kind of come to what God wants. Sometimes it just comes in a rush. And I can tell you, this whole series, God gave me three messages in less than three hours. I can write as fast as I can write. And so I'm eager to share this with you today. And as we start, I just want you to realize we're coming out one of the most significant moments in human history. That what has happened in our world is going to change our world forever. And the question I want us to consider this morning is what will it take? Let me explain what I mean by that. I'm going to back up to 2001. Some of you weren't around during that, but those of us that uh, got a little gray in the hair, we understand 2001, 9-11 on that in that year, there was a traumatic event that occurred. And the single greatest act of terrorism that our country has ever seen on our soil, nearly 3,000 people were killed that day by an act of terrorism, more than Pearl Harbor. And that, that obviously changed the lives of all those people who perished and their families for eternity, but also changed all of our lives in a sense in that we lost our sense of sovereignty in the United States, that we were not immune, that we were not untouchable, but that there were evil forces in our world and ideologies that were against us, and we saw firsthand how our sovereignty was threatened. Fast forward to 2008, there was a housing crisis, and some people lost their homes, um, the Great Recession uh, ensued several years after that, and, and, and it affected all of us. I think all of us took a pause and realized, man, I'm just a few paychecks away from not being able to afford my house. And I think that what it did is it, it took our sense of security from us, realizing that we were not promised prosperity, but that we could actually face poverty. And here we are in 2020, and we've been facing COVID-19. And what I saw previously with 9-11 is the church got full for about two weeks. And then things went back to normal. Today we're coming out of a crisis, and, and what I see is, is nearly, uh, the number this morning was 371,000 people have lost their lives. And I don't care what your politics are, that is a tragedy. That many people to perish. And it has affected millions, most of us, economically. And I believe what has happened through this is the assumption that we will always be prosperous has shaken. And you know, as I look around, you know what I see? I see a lot of people, including myself, doing home improvement projects. I see a lot of people um, diving into online entertainment and pacifying our time that way. And I see a lot of us doing life as usual. But what I do not see is revival. And what I mean by revival is a spiritual awakening in the hearts of God's people. That he would take center stage of our lives and he would be the most important thing in our lives. And that we would have a burning passion for him that is an unquenchable fire. So let me ask the question again. What will it take? 
I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a message to a church in a town called Laodicea. And uh, this is where it starts off in verse 14. The verses will be on the screen. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now, let me pause here. Laodicea was an actual church 19 centuries ago. Um, and it, it was one of seven churches that God wrote letters to in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And he had things to say to those churches, praise and also correction, because those churches weren't perfect, just like our church isn't perfect, like no church is perfect. And while there was a message to those churches for those days clearly from the Lord, there are some scholars, and, and, and quite a few of them, they're called dispensationalists, that believe not only do these churches represent actual churches of their day, but these churches also represent ages or stages that the church has gone through over the last 19th century of church history. And to those that ascribe to that, and I'll just tip my hand, I, just, I ascribe to that also, they say that we are in the last days. Of the church. We're in the last stage of the church called the Laodicean church. I want to see what you think. Here's what God has to say to that church in that day, and what I believe He's saying to our church and all the churches today. He says this These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is what Jesus has to say. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. God says, listen, I'm looking at you and what I see. I'm looking at your deeds. I'm looking at your life. And I'm going to judge you based on what I see in your behavior. See, I think it's easy to think that our faith can be lived out up here in the gray matter of our minds. And if we think things that the true of our lives, if we think, hey, God, I love you, that means I, I'm demonstrating that I love you. But Jesus said that, that um, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And I think if we think things or we say things or we have good intentions, that our faith can be lived out in our minds only. Or that some of us make the mistake of living out our, our, our faith just in our heart where we get emotional about things or convicted about things. But God says, listen, neither of those are the measuring stick. I'm looking at your deeds. I'm looking at your life. And here's his assessment on what he sees. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says we're lukewarm. He says we're in the middle. He says we are exceptionally mediocre. Now, let me ask you something. You guys like hot coffee? Who in here, raise your hands, if you like a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning, a good cup of hot coffee? Absolutely, you're my people. How many of you like to get, go to the store or maybe make it at home and you get a blender or whatever and you get an iced coffee? You like a really cold iced coffee. A couple of you like iced coffee? Yeah, if you put enough creamer and sugar in those, I like them too. They're called milkshakes, okay? Uh, I like those too. How many of you like to brew a cup of coffee and then sit it on the counter for a few hours and come back and get a good room temperature cup of coffee? You are weird. You're not supposed to raise your hands right now. No. God says we are a room temperature cup of coffee. The people in Laodicea would have known exactly what he was talking about because, see, in Laodicea, they didn't have a good water supply. 
Their water was just terrible. It couldn't support their city. A town just north of them had these hot springs. Have you ever been to Warm Springs, Georgia? You know, they have medicinal purposes, and it was known and renowned for these hot springs. And so they would duct in the hot water. And then there was a town, Colossae, which is a letter in the Bible written to them, um, Colossians. Uh, they would duck the water from there, and it was cold spring water. It was beautiful to drink, and they would duck it into the Laodicea, but either duck, by the time it got there, the sediment would collect, and the temperature would change such that when it got to their city, it was barely drinkable. It was lukewarm. It was terrible to the taste. God says, you're lukewarm. You're a lukewarm people. And I think we justify being lukewarm, being in the middle, being, being a very mediocre in our faith because we live among other people who are lukewarm in our faith. And we think things like this. Well, if they can go and watch those shows, then I can watch those shows. If believers can talk like that, then I guess I can talk like that. If believers allow their kids to get away with it, I guess it's okay if I do that. If, if believers don't take the Word of God very seriously, then I guess I don't really need to be reading it either. If the people of God don't, don't really have a passion for the local body of the believers of Christ, then I guess I don't have to either. And we remain lukewarm people because we live among lukewarm people. And here's the hard part. Not only does God say he's, you're lukewarm, he says it turns his stomach. He says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to spit you out of my mouth. And he goes on to tell us how we got there. If we are the church of Laodicea, he's going to go into our brain and actually show us how we get to be lukewarm believers. And he quotes us and he says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, we have a warped definition of what it means to live a successful life. We have a warped definition of what it means to live a pleasing life to God because it's so easy to believe that if I have more than I need, if I live in abundance, if I have these material blessings in my life, then, then that means that the God of heaven must think I'm doing okay because he's blessing me this way, therefore I'm good. And God says that's not the measuring stick. That, that isn't how you should judge whether I approve or not. He says you're so caught up in that, you don't even realize you're lacking in spiritual power and you're spiritually poor. God says we're destitute and homeless. And I really believe we don't see that because we compare ourselves to others who are destitute spiritually and homeless. Now, are we without hope in this world? We're not without hope. Was Lot without hope in Sodom and Gomorrah in a filthy, terrible place? No. God came and he rescued him and showed him a new way. Was Noah without hope in a, in a generation that says every thought of their heart was wicked all the time? Was he without hope? No. The God who rescues came and rescued and made something beautiful out of what was horrible. And we do not live without hope today. In fact, God has a way forward in his word. I'm about to show you that he says, listen, church, you lukewarm church, here is your way forward. 
to be holy, to be on fire for me, not to be cold, not to be lukewarm, but to be hot for me. Here's what he says. He says, I counsel you. I'm pleading with you. I can't make that. I'm not going to force this on you, but listen to me. If you're tired of being lukewarm, I've got some counsel for you that you can follow, and it'll radically change the outcome of your life. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. See, God's way, His way is to give up the pursuit of worldly riches so we can have real riches, a genuine faith that stands the test of the fire when the trial comes. Just like when you want to refine gold and make it pure refined gold, you put it on fire and you heat it up and the, the impurities get burned off of it and what is left is something more pure and more valuable. God says, listen, when the fires of trials come, what is true riches is a faith that endures and comes out of the fire better and stronger in faith. That's, my, that's one of your ways forward, is to trust God in the trial, to trust God in the fire, to don't ever think he's forsaken you. No, he's testing you by fire so he can purify you. Number two, he says, take off and put on white clothes. Remember before he said we were naked, and this is an analogy of, of losing sinfulness and putting on holiness. He said, listen, your nakedness is exposed. The sinfulness in your heart is exposed. But my way forward from you is that you would renounce your sinful and secret ways and put on holiness that only God in heaven can give. Man, I can clothe you in a righteousness from heaven and you can live holy before me. That's a way forward. And then he says, I've got a staff. I want to put it on your eyes. And this salve's going to help you see. Remember, you're blind and you don't even see the problems you've got. And this salve, when we get it on, we begin to see more clearly that the things of this world don't really matter. And the things of God and His kingdom are all that matters. And when we get that, so we can see it right, we understand that you and I all have a mission. You do, and you do, and I do, and our church does. We have one singular mission, is that we would save people from a burning hell. That's why you exist and why I exist. That heaven would be full and hell would be empty. We need salve so that we could see. And I pray that we see that clearer and clearer every day. Now I'm going to give you two observations. They're not in the text. All right? <clears throat> the first one is simply this. I'm not red hot. I'm not. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be. I've been too little in prayer, too little in study, and too little in spiritual power. I want to be a man that is red hot for the living God. I want to preach that way. I want to lead that way. I want to live that way. And I can tell you this, I am more desperate for it today than I have ever been desperate. That God did something in me a few weeks back. There's a fire in my gut, and I pray it never goes away. That he would be all-consuming in my life. And I can tell you this, I'm starting every day on my knees before a holy God. 
yielding myself to him, gladly, willingly, excitedly saying, God, this is your day. This is your life. This is your time. This is you. Live your life through me. And he's put a fire for the souls of men and women and children that they would not see the fires of hell. And so he's creating a fire in my heart to witness and tell people about our loving Savior. Can I tell you, this is what I want to be, but I'm not there. Just being honest with you. My other observation is there's not many red-hot disciples for Jesus anywhere. I'm not talking about my definition or your definition of what it means to be a red-hot disciple for Jesus. I'm just going to take the criteria that he just gave us, that we were people, we would be people that have an enduring faith that is tested by fire and our faith has stood the test and we trust God in all things and worry and fear and doubt or slide away based on the glory of God and his faithfulness to us and we stand firm when trouble comes and that we would be disciples that take a, a cloth in white that there's a righteousness, there's a holiness, there's a conviction about us, and we don't do all the things other people do because we want to please God in our holiness. And I'm talking about people that have wiped the salve so that they see clearly. And the, and the eternal souls of people come before pleasure, come before leisure, come before other things that the eternal souls of other people, and that matters to them. And they're burning hot and they can't help, they're compelled to tell others about Jesus Christ. Based on that criteria, I don't see many red-hot disciples for Jesus I started with a question, what will it take? Let me ask it this way. What will it take, you and I, church, what will it take for you and I to be red hot for God? Not lukewarm, not cold, red hot for God. A faith that doesn't get compartmentalized and put in a drawer and pulled back out when we need God or pulled back out on Sunday or pulled back out when things get bad. We, that we have a consuming fire in us for God, a passion that can't be quenched and He's the first thing we think about in the morning and the last thing we think about at night and all throughout our day. Our God is central to our lives because He is all to us. I wrote this in my notes. I hope you are as convicted as I am. And I do. But if we learned anything, last series is being convicted is one thing. Being convinced is even better, right? That we wouldn't just settle for a feeling right now that we need to do some things different. But that you and I would choose to, to use our will. That we are going to be different from this day forward. My prayer has been that everybody that watches the video and everyone who walks through these doors, that we would not leave here the same people that we entered. That we would not be the same people when we started the video. That God would do a work in us and we'd be different. We'd be changed. We'd be red hot. For him. I know this sounds radical. You're like, where did Pastor Rod go? It sounds radical to my ears too. Can I tell you that? But what's so wrong with having a radical faith? 
Jeremy preached on it last week, that Mary had this radical obedience to God. And he said, look, you're not even going to understand how it happens, but you're going to end up pregnant, and you're gonna, all your life's going to be wrecked. And she says, I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Man, that's radical obedience to the living God. And why wouldn't we have a radical love and obedience for him? Listen, isn't it right to be radically all in for the God who loves you unconditionally? Absolutely. Isn't it, isn't it, doesn't it make sense to be radically in love with the Savior who suffered and bled and died for you? Doesn't it make sense to be radically consumed with the kingdom of light when you've been, been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light? It makes perfect sense. And my prayer for me and for you is that we'd be radically in love and on fire for the living God. Listen, if this is stirring your heart, I want you to listen to something. Look into this next, next verse. He says, those whom I love, I coddle? No. Those whom I love, I tell them it's going to be okay? No. Those whom I love, I just give them sunshine and rainbows all the time? No. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Listen, the first thing you got to understand is when God comes hard at you and gets in your face and is doing business with you, it's because he loves you. He loves you and he will discipline you. And he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He doesn't want me to stay in my lukewarmness. He wants us to move past that and be radically in love with him. He says, so I will rebuke you to get you there. I will discipline you to get you there. I want the best for you. Listen, this is not a fire of punishment. This is a fire of purification. This isn't a fire. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And because he's mad about you, he said, let me burn away the things of this world so that you can just love me completely and fully, and I'll show you wonderful things. Secondly, it's he's doing it because he loves you. Secondly, if you want to burn for God and you already know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's really only one requirement, and that is you be broken. If you want to burn for God, you must be broken. Last few weeks, I've been trimming bushes and branches and half of trees off of trees and, and dragging them over to the fire pit and chopping them up and cutting them up and getting them ready and having grand, glorious bonfires. But that tree in my yard does me no good until it is cut and chopped and broken and bent and distorted, and then it can be thrown into the fire pit and used and burned for fire. Guys, listen. You and I will only find the burning fire of God to live for Him and live holy in Him and live uh, in joy with Him when we are broken before Him. And the word in the passage we just read, He said, repent. 
That's exactly what the word repent means, is to be broken before God. Be broken over our sin. Be broken over our callousness. Be broken over our apathy. Be broken over the things that distract us. Be broken over the other priorities in our life. Be broken over the fact that we don't think God is as great as God actually is. And so if you want to be broken, or you want to burn, you got to be broken. we got to be broken. Broken of our independence and self-reliance. we got to be broken of that. The only person God can't work in and move in and change and reform and burn a fire in is the one who thinks they don't need God's help. We've got to be broken of our self-reliance and independence. Secondly, we've got to be broken from the allure and the attraction of this world, that the shiny things of this world just don't seem as important as they used to. And we've got to be broken for the things of God. Man, that we long to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says be broken, repent, you know that spiritual maturity is actually a series of times where you repent before God and He grants you the grace and the faith to be not only forgiven, but to trust and obey Him. And then you step away from that changed and different, and then you repent again and you get changed again and repent again and get changed again. That is the process that God has in your life and in my life to make us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we repent and we believe and we repent and we believe. And repentance isn't a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. Repentance isn't something to be ashamed of. It's a way that we grow. So God says, repent. Turn to me. Let me help you. Let me heal you. Don't be the one that gets spit out of my mouth. Don't be the one that misses out on my best for you. Because listen to this. It is better to be broken and burned than to stay lukewarm and to be spit out of his mouth. You may not know this is even in the Bible, but Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is how God is described. It says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. It's quoted in the New Testament too. The Lord your God is a consuming fire. That means you can't just get a little bit of them. Because when you get a little bit of fire, you wait a second, what do you have? You got a lot of fire. God and fire are inseparable, and those who are close to him burn. They burn red hot for him. And my challenge, what God is telling me to tell you today, is let's draw near to the living God that we might burn hot for him. There's two groups of people. Two groups of people I want to talk to. One is... You have never intentionally and perfectly given your life to Jesus Christ by faith. You're either still trying to earn his favor through religion, or you've never really thought about the things of God, but God through this message is convincing you that you need to get right before a holy God. And the only way you can do so is by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came and died on your behalf. He was broken for you. 
that you can be made whole in God's kingdom. He, would, he became sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. And we receive those things. We receive eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you need to make him your Lord and your Savior today, you turn over the deed of your life to him. Today is the day that you make that decision. We'll pray in just a moment if that's you. The other group of people in this room are believers in Jesus Christ. And God's message to you today is repent. Turn to the living God and trade in darkness for light. Trade in sinfulness for holiness. Trade in striving for your kingdom to striving for the kingdom of God. And so here's what we're going to do. We just sang it before the message. Oh, come to the altar. I'm going to challenge you to come to this altar and ask God for that, that you would repent before Holy God. We got them spaced out. There's a blue X you can come find, that you would come and get on your knees. I spent time here yesterday on this X right here, and I did business with God, and I repented. And I'm asking you to do the same thing, that you would say, listen, God, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where you want me to be, but by your grace, I'm going to leave this altar different. If you're at home and you need to repent, you get on your knees. Your family thinks you're weird anyway, just do it. And we're going to sing. And when this song starts, you come and you repent. You do business with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you don't leave us in our helpless state of lukewarmness and self-sufficiency but you are the rescuing God you rescued Lot out of the fire and brimstone you rescued Noah from the floods and you can rescue the lost soul today from the fires of hell by simply receiving Jesus Christ repenting from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ if that's you today you need to ask Jesus right now say God would you come into my life Jesus, I'm putting my hope and my faith in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me life. And I'm putting all my trust in you. And God, not only that, I want to turn over the rights to my life to you. I don't want to just have your salvation and your forgiveness. I want you to have me. You tell them that. And watch Jesus come rushing in like a flood. God, I pray for your, your believers here. You rebuke us and you discipline us because you love us. And so, God, I've felt your love through this very hard season. And I pray that your people right now would respond in the same way. God, you're not mad at them. You're mad about them. But you're calling them to repentance today. And there's things in their life that need to be left at this altar and done with. And we walk out of here new. So God, give us freedom. Don't, don't give us a care about what anyone else in this room thinks. God, but only what you think in this moment is we come and we repent before you. In Jesus' name, amen.
give you Make his face shine upon you Be gracious to you Lord, turn his face toward you
little verse I want to share with you. It's the next verse, what God says to his church. For those of you who repented, did business with God today, listen to this. To the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. I got great news. The victory has already been won. And as we repent and turn to God, it's your victory. Today and every day and for eternity, the victory is ours because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave upon a cross and an empty tomb. And that victory is ours to share in every single day of our lives. In fact, he sat down. The work is so finished, he sat down. It's over. We live in victory today. Let's all stand. We're going to finish this song singing together, then I'll give a benediction before we go. Let's stand and let's sing together. says last verse last thing he says to this church in Laodicea whoever has ears isn't that you and me whoever has ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and that word hear really means heed there's a blessing for all of us that we take heed when we when we accept the rebuke of God and we walk away from here with a repentant pure heart before God he says bless you if you heed me in my warning today Do you know how we're going to heed this moving forward? I can't think of a better way that you and I become more of a people of prayer. 
I can't think of a better way when we're being tested with the fires that we stay strong than when we get in the throne room of God by grace and we pray. I can't think of a better way that you and I would shred and take off the trappings of this world and put on white clothes of holiness than we would be people of prayer. And I can't think of a better way for you and I to have our eyes clean and clear so we can see the eternal things of God and the souls of mankind than we become people of prayer. He'll keep it in front of you. So here's what I want us to do this week. If you normally pray five minutes, pray ten. If you normally pray one, pray one way to work, pray both ways. Get on your knees before Him. Seek Him. I tell you what we're going to do as a church family. Uh, starting this Thursday, Thursday mornings from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., this room will be open to come and pray. And you can drop in for as long or as short as you want, but we will be a people of prayer. Because what's going to happen is these coals are going to get pushed together. And we're going to burn red hot for Jesus together. And the fire he starts in here will spread out there. And the community that desperately, this world that desperately needs Jesus will find him as we seek him. So this, the band's going to close us out. They're going to keep playing. And we'd simply ask as the ushers come to, to let you go that you would, you would uh, uh, follow their instructions and head on out. Don't forget to drop your Connect card and offering on the way out. I love you. This is just one of three messages on this series. And we're just gonna, I'm going to ask you to come back. Keep watching online. God's got a lot more to say to us. Have a great week. God bless.